The Water Values Podcast, Session 32. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for joining me. We've got a great guest as always for you today, but before we get to the interview, just wanted to remind you to listen all the way to the end of the podcast for that all-important disclaimer, lest you rely on the information in this podcast to your material disadvantage. Well, I'm recording this intro almost a week before release because of a few things. First, I'll be out of town Sunday through Tuesday at the National Association of Water Companies Water Summit, and I look forward to catching up with some of you there. Next, I'm jam-packed on Thursday and Friday, so that leaves Wednesday Wednesday is the lightest day of the week, and it's not even that light. I've already had a client meeting this morning and spent time preparing for a big meeting that happens on Thursday. I've also spent a lot of time testing some mobile equipment so that I can interview some folks at the National Association of Water Companies Water Summit. By the way, the NAWC has been extremely helpful in getting a room and for some interviews and in facilitating some connections. So, Thanks very much to Michael Dean and Mary Beth Leangini for their outstanding effort and organizational skill. And also, before we get into the show, I wanted to give a big shout-out and big thank you to Tony Steck, not only for the five-star rating on iTunes, but for the great review he wrote. Tony, I really appreciate it. And to all other listeners, please consider uh, posting not only a rating, but also a review on iTunes. That really helps uh, potential listeners find the podcast and and gives them a flavor for what the podcast is all about. So thanks very much, Tony. Really appreciate it. Well, on today's podcast, Marianne Dickinson, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Water Efficiency, joins us. She's a knowledgeable and enthusiastic advocate for water efficiency. She does a great job dispelling the notion that water conservation leads to higher rates and explaining a lot about what utilities can do to promote and enhance their conservation efforts. Plus, she identifies several free resources the Alliance makes available on the web and that you can use to improve your water efficiency habits, whether you're an individual or a water utility. It's a great listen, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot about water efficiency. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Marianne, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. To start off, could you please tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is a pleasure to be part of your uh, Water Values series. Um, I got interested in water kind of through the back door. I'm an environmental planner by education, so you can't be concerned about the environment and not be concerned about water. But most of my career, uh, the beginning part of my career, I spent doing other types of programs, land use programs and land preservation programs, and kind of fell into water uh, through the water quality connection uh, when I went to work for a water utility. And um, that experience in the mid-80s was pretty broad spectrum. I learned a lot about how water is delivered, how safe drinking water is provided to millions of Americans in this country, and sort of the hidden system that that represents. And water conservation got assigned to me as part of my duties at uh, one of the water utilities I work for, and it slowly took over my life. Um, (laughs) And it's become uh, a single focus issue for me in my career. So I've got experience as an environmental regulator, as a water utility uh, planner and manager, and now as a head of a nonprofit organization that focuses on water efficiency as its mission. Okay, and can you tell us a little bit about who who you do work for now? 
So we created the Alliance for Water Efficiency seven years ago. Um, we noticed that there wasn't a single nonprofit organization out there advocating for sustainable use of water and water efficiency in particular. If you think about energy, we have a number of energy organizations, probably a good half dozen that have been around for 30 years or more, but we have not had any organizations devoted to the efficient and sustainable use of water. So we created in 2007, we created the Alliance for Water Efficiency. We're headquarters in Chicago. We started out serving the U.S. and Canada principally, but now we work all over the world. And we have a mission of advocating, of helping provide the appropriate technical information to do the right kinds of conservation programs, education programs for consumers, um, a whole wide range of best practices and technologies that we try to promote within the water sector, primarily the drinking water sector. What kind of information are you providing and how how is it being used in the real world? Okay, well, when people think of water efficiency or water conservation, they typically think of the kinds of messages we all learn in school, turn off the water when you brush your teeth. But that sort of ignores the bigger picture of where the water is actually going, uh, how the consumer is using water, and where the consumer, whether it's a household, whether it's a, a business, whether it's a, a restaurant, whether it's an industry, they all use water in very substantive ways. And how you make that water use more efficient is a technical um, evaluation. So the kinds of work that we provide for our stakeholders in water, and they are water utilities as well as business and industry uh, and government agencies, is the, the information needed to make correct decisions on what kinds of programs to fund. So we build models that are used to analyze what types of programs work in a particular community, and we uh, provide support and information for those uh, water users who want to implement and become more water efficient. We teach them how to actually do the program, and we also teach them how to evaluate and analyze what they've actually achieved. Okay. Can you talk about a community that you've worked with and the project that they've, they've implemented? Well, one of our biggest uh, and most heavily used tools is something we call the Water Conservation Tracking Tool. It's a model that we've built that helps communities plan out what water conservation programs they, they should do. And we, at this point, have about 350 registered users of the tracking tool. And so this is a tool that is used to analyze um, water use in a community and what's most cost-effective and how they can save both water and energy and, and where the investments should go and how they should also adjust their rates to compensate for the reductions in revenue that might occur. So we have a number of cities all across the, the country that have used this tool, uh, from San Antonio uh, to uh, San Jose. Uh, these are all communities that have uh, used the tool in, 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 their, in planning their water efficiency programs. How does this water conservation tracking tool integrate into the program that a specific community adopts? Well, if you're, if you're a general manager of a water system and you're facing some water shortages, as are many communities in the West right now, um, you need to figure out how you're going to supply water when it's dwindling in your own reservoir, supply it to your customers. And sometimes water efficiency pencils out, in fact, often, as the most cost-effective way to supply that water because water that's saved in one customer can then be used 
to save, to distribute water to another. So a story that I like to tell to illustrate this point is the story of Orm, Tennessee, a little community that ran out of water in its well, completely dry well. They had to go to the neighboring town with the fire truck to fill up the fire truck once a day and bring it and put the, the fire truck um, contents into the town distribution system. And people had water only about two hours a day. Um, because there wasn't enough water for 24-hour delivery. But when the whole town was retrofitted, uh, thanks to the plumbing industry who donated uh, water-efficient plumbing to the whole town, it's a small town, um, once all of the faucets, shower heads, and toilets were all replaced with efficient fixtures, suddenly the town had more water. The water that was flushing uh, that toilet at a higher level now could be saved and applied to another household. So that little town went from two hours of water a day to suddenly having water for 12 hours a day. And it's because water efficiency allows that water to be distributed uh, to a broader a customer base and therefore the, uh, you know, a single gallon of water will go farther. So this is the principle in water uh, conservation. You're actually using the water to distribute to a larger group of customers and you're also saving in not having to buy water supplies from another source that might be a whole lot more expensive than the water conservation program would cost. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about water conservation and its relationship with rates. Um, First, first off, does the Alliance for Water Efficiency, what's, what's your perspective on the impact of water conservation on, on rates? Well, this is a this is a topic that's pretty hot right now across the country. Uh, there's lots of media taglines and headlines that say conservation makes rates rise, and it's the common perception that why should I bother conserving in my household when my rates are just going to go up anyway? And so there, there are a couple of pieces to this this perception that we have out there that, that I want to address. Uh, number one, conservation doesn't make rates rise all on its own. The rates are going up anyway. We have spent probably decades ignoring the state of our infrastructure in this country, and much of what is happening is repair and replacement of old pipes and water mains that need to be better maintained. Second issue that's making rates rise is as our population grows, we need to go and get more water, and, and that is a cost, whether it, it is a new well that's being drilled or a new reservoir that's being built or even a, a desalination facility that's being built. All of those facilities cost money. That's making your rates go up. But conservation is one way for uh, a customer, whether it's a business or a household, to actually reduce the impact of that rate increase. The customer who conserves will always pay less in their bill than the customers who don't. And so as our water rates go up across the country, and they are going up uh, significantly, water and sewer, much faster than uh, the consumer price index or even other uh, utilities like energy and telecommunications, as these rates go up, uh, conservation still becomes a way to to tamper that that rate shock. That's from the customer's perspective. Now, from the water utility's perspective, we have probably erred in this country in all these years of charging for rates uh, to consider that we are charging volumetrically for every single block of water sold is how we make our money. So in the water utility industry, the more unit blocks of water you sell, the more money you make. And that ignores the, the efficiency parameters that go into rate setting. Um, if, a, if your system is very efficient, they still need to collect the revenue to, 
to provide that service, and it shouldn't be solely tied to the unit blocks of water that they sell. So water utilities consistently, when they do a conservation program, they forget about the impact of selling a little bit less water to these conserving customers, and they don't make adjustments to the rate structure to appropriately apportion the cost in the right places. And those consumers who do conserve sometimes do get a bill that shows that their water is going up, their water rate is going up. But their bill overall is still going to be lower. And that's that's the message that we have to get out to the consumers. And the message we, we get to the water utilities is let's work with you on setting the rates so that those who are driving the high cost of system expansion are the users, the ratepayers who should be paying the highest cost of that bill. A senior citizen in a fixed income who has no outdoor water use whatsoever shouldn't be say, paying the same amount of money for her water as a large uh, property that has uh, considerable irrigation where 80% of the water use is probably applied to the outdoors. That growing water use is what's driving system expansion, not the little um, senior citizen in her apartment. I, I agree with that completely. Um, you, you've said a couple things in there that I think are very interesting. And one of the ones, one of the things that struck me was uh, at, at, when we started our conversation, you mentioned that, oh, there's been a lot of energy programs out there and energy entities and organizations promoting energy efficiency um, for, you know, 30 plus years, uh, whereas in the water, that's a fairly new concept. And I, it's and it's fairly well understood, at least on the on the energy side of the world, that efficiency is the lowest cost alternative Uh and that's for some reason water utilities just haven't been able they they have not taken the lead of of the energy sector in that discussion do, do you have any thoughts on that well, many water utilities have done that, and a, a lot of success in conservation in, in Western communities is, is attributed to at least two to three decades of, of water conservation work that's been going on uh, since the droughts in California and in the West uh, from the 70s. But it isn't a universally understood concept, and we're trying to promote the fact that conservation actually helps with costs. And we worked with the city of Westminster, Colorado, to publish a report, which is is posted on our website that documents pretty clearly this community of Westminster, Colorado would have had much higher rates had they not done conservation. So what they looked at is all of the, the costs that they would have had in their system from 1980 on, what facilities they would have built to meet demand, and then they took a look at what conservation saved them in those costs. And what they figured out was, had they not done these conservation programs since 1980, their rates would have been 91% higher than they are today. Oh, wow. So this is the kind of message we need to get out there, that, that conservation can actually help with this rate shock, and, and it's a reverse of the common perception that it causes that rate shock. So what were the foundational elements of that 91% savings metric? Well, they looked at what, what facilities, what reservoirs and what treatment plants they would have had to have built to meet a higher demand. Because they, the demand was lower as a result of the conservation programs, they didn't end up needing to build a number of facilities that had been in their water resource planning documents. So by not having to build those facilities, they saved millions and millions of dollars for the ratepayer, And that's the cost that primarily was the basis of the analysis that was done. In the, in the industry, it's called 
your avoided cost. You have avoided costs for capital expenditures for plants and, and uh, reservoirs, and then you have uh, avoided costs for operating that uh, also are more short-term costs. But it's the compilation of those avoided costs that provide the efficiency benefit. And it's true in energy just the same as it is in water. Right. And, and one of the other things you mentioned uh, earlier was that essentially the utilities, if they sell less, you know, they're, they're not going to hit their revenue targets. What are some strategies for these utilities uh, who, in order to deal with that, that kind of short-term uh, revenue shortfall or potential revenue shortfall? What are some strategies to, to get around that issue? Okay, so when our our advice is always when you're planning a conservation program, you need to plan for the revenue adjustments that have to be made at the same time. So our water conservation tracking tool that I talked about earlier actually com computes the change in the revenue requirement for the utility as a result of a given suite of conservation programs. And so when the revenue requirement is changed, that's the number that then gets plugged into a rate model so that they can adjust to make sure they're collecting in rates the amount of revenue that they are requiring on an annual basis. It's not a difficult concept to, to do this. It's just painful to do it every year. And because rates are politically set by elected boards of directors or by city council members, they are political votes. And doing them on a yearly basis is usually pretty uh, daunting. So many water utilities bundle it and wait for several years before they actually go and make rate adjustments. And that's not been proven to be a very good idea because they're always collecting then in arrears and they're never making the full revenue requirement that they need. So in our rates project that we have launched uh, at the Alliance for Water Efficiency, we call it Financing Sustainable Water. And you can get all this information at Financing Sustainable Water dot org um, that handbook and rate model that we are making available free of charge to water utilities around the country explains how you make this evaluation on a more constant basis so that you are not always you know historically collecting revenues you never got but instead looking forward to how you need to collect revenue for the future can you tell us a little more about the financing sustainable water tool well, the Financing Sustainable Water was a special grant that we got, uh, so all of those materials are available free of charge to anyone who goes to that website. And it includes uh, a handbook on how to set conservation-oriented rates that will keep you revenue stable. It includes a rate model, a free rate model, where you can input your own rate structure into it and then figure out how changes from conservation or from drought restrictions uh, will alter your revenue requirement and your need for uh, collection of water in various uh, tiers from various ratepayers. Uh, a third uh, is tool in the package is a paper that we've written on how to use market-based instruments like insurance or even weather derivatives to help offset the wild swings in consumption that occur as a result of weather. And we will be putting on this website um, information tools for how to communicate with your consumers, uh, in particular a little video showing uh, the consumer why the water costs what it does, how it 
starts out from being free as it falls from the sky and, and basically comes to the consumer embedded with the, the cost of delivery. You know, tools that will help the water utility communicate with its customers. Our water conservation tracking tool is also free, but it's free to those who are members of the Alliance for Water Efficiency. So we encourage uh, utilities to join us, and then they get not only the tool, but our help for free. One of the other things I wanted to chat with you about was whether the financing sustainable water tool or the water conservation tracking tool have been used in a rate case before a utility commission and have they survived that regulatory scrutiny? Uh, the water conservation tracking tool is a little older. We have uh, had it out there for about four years now. And, yes, it has been used in regulatory proceedings. I'm aware of one particular case with the California Public Utilities Commission where uh, our, our model was the foundation for uh, determining what activities were cost-effective for that uh, investor-owned water utility. The rate model and handbook that we've just released under financing sustainable water are only two weeks old. So we have not seen actual a regulatory use of it yet, although the California um, State Water Resources Control Board did mention our rate model and our rate handbook in their resolution on drought restrictions that they passed, mandatory drought restrictions for water uh, providers in California. So we are getting regulatory recognition um, in, in several states for this, Texas and California in particular. Okay, interesting. Um, well, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the water energy nexus. You you referred to it earlier uh, in not so many words, but could you could you give us the Alliance for Water Efficiency's perspective on the the water energy nexus? Sure, this is a topic of great interest to us. Um, it is not commonly perceived by most consumers that water and energy are even connected, but they really are. Uh, you save water, you save energy, you save energy, you save water. 50% um, of the nation's water withdrawals are water withdrawals for power plant cooling. 13% um, of the total national energy use is, is due to water-related pumping treatment and end-use consumption. In California, that number is even higher. 19% of their electric energy load is related to the pumping treatment movement and end-use of water. And 33% of their gas load is related to the heating of that hot water. So you have huge amounts of energy that are needed to power the water sector. And without water, the energy sector can't generate electricity. They're, they're very much tied together. So what we have been uh, working on since we were founded is uh, a blueprint of actions that state and federal governments can undertake to maximize the benefits of working these two issues together. And so our blueprint for uh, uh, water and energy is also a document on our website that you can download for free, as well as a research document on what water and energy research studies have been conducted to date. And the reason this is important is as we move forward to plan not only new power plant facilities, but new water facilities, we need to plan all of that together and, and figure out what the energy synergies are um, between the two topics. And it's not just the water and energy utilities that need to plan better. It's also the end-use customers. So a business that wants to be energy efficient should not do so at the expense of being water efficient because in the long run, those two are connected. 
So um, an example I can give you is a community that did some work on this early on. Uh, Santa Clara Valley Water District in California did a report in 2006, which they called Watts to Water. And it was early analysis of this water and energy connection. And what they figured out is by looking at their water use efficiency programs that they had done from 1993 through 2006, they figured out that they saved 1.4 billion kilowatt hours of energy worth about $183 million, and they eliminated 335 million kilograms of carbon dioxide, or the same amount as removing 72,000 passenger cars from the road for a year. So there is benefit in energy to water efficiency programs. You're saving, by saving that gallon of water, you're saving kilowatt hours of, of pumping. And that's a basic premise that we have built into our water conservation tracking tool so that you can analyze what your greenhouse gas emission reductions are, as well as your energy savings from doing water efficiency programs. Sure. Can you tell us a little more about the blueprint that you've got on your website? Sure. It it inventories activities that we think the federal government should undertake in the area of research, in the area of policy, in promoting best practices and programs and in um, you know working on getting the the energy and water community working on it together better so one of the things we noticed in our first year of operation is that every time there was an energy efficiency bill if we would propose to add water to it um, the energy community was not very enthusiastic about adding water to their uh, their initiative they they kept thinking of it as a separate topic go get your own money go get your own bill and I think largely through the work that's been done by a number of organizations including the Alliance to save energy and uh, AC Triple I think we are we are overcoming that barrier water and energy organizations are now starting to work together in a more proactive way. And that's the essence of the message of the blueprint that we, we put together with ACEEE um, and distributed and uh, sh basically testified on in Congress. Well, terrific. It's good to hear that um, that you're breaking down silos across you know the various barriers and, and getting to a more sustainable approach to all this. Um, do you have any other examples of, of communities that have uh, – looked at the water energy nexus and what they've done about it? The city of Austin has been a leader in doing water and energy programs, and, and part of it has been made easier because the city has a energy utility and a water utility under the same municipal umbrella. So they were early leaders in, in doing combined water and energy work together and making sure that facilities that were designed uh, on the water side were as energy efficient as possible. And I think the kind of synergy that Austin um, Water and Power got with their programs can be done across the country as long as the the water utilities and the energy utilities are willing to partner. The difficulty always is, is that the service areas are different boundaries in water and in energy. In energy, you've got very large service areas, you know, probably, what, 75 very large energy utilities, electric utilities around the country, whereas there's something like 53,000 water systems. So, it's going to always be a lot harder to match up the water system to the to the right energy boundaries, but I, I do think it's an important activity that's, that that should be undertaken as soon as possible, because as energy demand grows, what you want to make sure is that the water piece of that demand is growing as little as possible, and that takes cooperation between the two sectors to to achieve that.
So there have been a number of organizations that are working now on this issue, um, the American Water Works Association, the Water Research Foundation, the Water Environment Federation. Those are all water uh, organizations that have now recognized the water and energy connection and are featuring it in a major way in their conferences and programs. Excellent. Well, very astute and very good observation about the combined water energy utility and the synergies that can be derived from that. Um, if we can shift gears, I'd like to get the Alliance for Water Efficiency's perspective on how the public perceives its use of water. Well, this is a, this is a tough subject. This is one that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about, about how we get uh, a culture of conservation to take hold in this country when people don't think they use much water to begin with. They, they, we have done such a good job in the water utility world of being this strong, silent background provider that most people don't even think about the fact that when they turn the tap on, water comes out. Is there ever going to be a time when water doesn't come out? No one ever thinks about that. No one even knows, for the most part, where their water comes from. Um, state of Texas did a did a survey to analyze where Texans thought their water came from, and they discovered that you didn't have a sense of stewardship or caring about your water resource unless you even knew from what river or stream or lake or reservoir your water actually came from. So there's very little understanding of the source of the water, how much it takes to get there, and how much water they actually use. So my favorite statistic that I love to quote was done by the East Bay Municipal Utility District in Oakland, California. They did one of those marketing surveys where they, they asked their customers a whole series of questions about their water use. And 60% of their single-family customers said that they use than 50 gallons per day for the household. I really honestly believe this. Whereas the real amount that they use is anywhere between 228 and 480 gallons per household per day. Uh, so it's a huge difference, orders of magnitude error. And the average consumer doesn't realize what, where the water is that they're actually using, that it goes for their toilet flushing, their washing machine, their outdoor irrigation system that goes on in the middle of the night when they don't even see it. And they only think about their shower water and the water in their kitchen sink. And so this is the, the primary problem we have, is making them realize how much water is used for a whole variety of purposes that are very, very consumptive. Um, the other thing that the East Bay Mud study did that was interesting is they determined that 25% of their customers have leaks that they don't really even know about. They matched up a lot of the data from customer use to customer opinion. And so if you don't even know you have a leak, you're, you're actually paying for water that you could be paying less for if you were more efficient. So we have a huge challenge facing us in this country in public education. When you tell a child, turn off the water when you brush your teeth, that's an important behavioral message. But that's that's a couple of gallons a day. It's not where their water in their house is really going. And so these are the kinds of educational programs that we are trying to undertake at the Alliance. And we have launched one. It's called Never Waste. And it tries to convey the amount of waste that a consumer normally does every day in a volume of water that they understand. So we took a 20 ounce water bottle, stainless steel water bottle, and we said, we put the bottle in the ad, and we said, how many of these do you use with a leaking toilet? Well, a leaking toilet will waste 800 of these in a single day. 
And suddenly then the consumer gets the message, well, this is a lot more water than I thought, or a dripping water faucet or a broken irrigation um, uh, sprinkler head. How much does that translate into how many bottles of water this is? And so that's a message that we uh, we have out there. You can see those ads on our website and uh, on our website that we've created for the consumer called Home Water Works, home dash water dash works dot org. And that's a, a website that actually tries to educate the consumer on what water they use and how they can be more efficient with the water that uh, is going through their household. Terrific. Uh, do you have a perspective on public education and where we should focus? It, it sounds like right now there are a lot of programs aimed at the actual present day consumers. What's aimed at the younger generation, elementary or middle school aged kids? Because it seems to me that if we can, if we can not only educate the adult population, but also get kids more attuned to this issue, uh, things are going to be a lot better than they otherwise might be in 20 years or so. Well, you know, in in defense of public education, I think there are a lot of great programs out there on water conservation right now. I think what what they miss is trying to educate the kids as to the total water used in the household. And so our our Home Waterworks website has a calculator which we encourage teachers to use in the classroom with their students. They can do they can take the calculator home to their parents uh, and online they can actually answer those questions and figure out where the water in their house is actually going. So we've built this water use calculator that is very easy to use, very fun little uh, treasure hunt that the kids can do. And uh, it works not only for school education programs, but it also works for adults that want to figure out where they can um, make their their water bill go down or their their water use more efficient. Oh, perfect. Um, Well, Marianne, you've been absolutely fantastic today. You've covered a broad range of water efficiency topics and done so very eloquently. And so I really appreciate your time. Uh, Where can people go to find out more about you and the Alliance for Water Efficiency? Well, our website is a treasure trove of information. So I recommend that everyone go to www.allianceforwaterefficiency, all one word, dot O-R-G. And from there, you can launch off to our other websites that I mentioned on financing sustainable water and our home water works. And you can see all of the the work that we're doing um, around the world on water efficiency programs. Um, So I I invite you all to, to visit our website, to check in with us to become members and become part of our growing international network on water efficiency. Terrific. And you also mentioned that uh, utilities can become members of the Alliance for Water Efficiency. What what all are the benefits you get through uh, Alliance for Water Efficiency membership? Well, not just water utilities, but businesses and other water stakeholders join us as well. And they get a number of benefits. They get uh, the benefit of our advocacy for their issue uh, in front of Congress and state legislators. They get uh, the benefit of technical assistance, which we provide free to our members on their conservation work and plans. And they work with us on our new programs. The the, the two programs that I talked about uh, on this podcast today are Financing Sustainable Water and our Home Water Works program. 
All of that was done through committees that our members uh, sit on and help advise us on programs that they need and that they can use. And then we, we also help uh, provide materials that our members can use in their own communities to disseminate information on water efficiency. They become part of a broader network and they share information across uh, uh, communities. So a community in New Mexico can hear about what's going on in Georgia and they can share information uh, across communities. Well, it sounds like a lot of value add there. So thanks again, Marianne. Really thank appreciate you. it. You bet. It was great having you on, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye. That was my interview with Marianne Dickinson of the Alliance for Water Efficiency, who, as you can tell from the interview, knows water efficiency and is a great advocate for it. Here are a couple takeaways from the interview with Marianne. First, and I cannot stress this enough, water efficiency and water conservation do not by themselves make rates rise. A couple utilities have framed rate increases around this argument, and I think that's the wrong message to send. There's plenty of debt service, extensions, replacements, and renewals, increasing chemical, insurance, power, and labor costs to put upward pressure on rates. Water efficiency will have a long-term downward pressure on rates. By claiming that water efficiency is the cause of rate increases, it really damages the message that we need to send to all customers to use water efficiently. Marianne made a lot of great points in the interview, but in my mind, this takeaway is far and away the most important point. My next takeaway, which is also a very important takeaway, concerns the misperception of the public as to how much water people use. Marianne illustrated this point with the East Bay Municipal Utility District survey, whereas people were answering that they only used between 50 and 60 gallons of water per day, where in actuality, it was more likely to be between 220 and 460 gallons per day. So there's a big disconnect there. And, uh, you know, we as a, as a public, we miss a lot of the consumption often by orders of magnitude. And this is an area that we all can improve in. My final takeaway is the water conservation tracking tool prepared by the Alliance for Water Efficiency and its acceptance before state utility commissions. Utilities subject to regulation have rates that are scrutinized much more heavily than, say, a rate that only needs you know, local political approval from a city council or a utility board. That proposed rates using the water conservation tracking tool have been approved by state utility commissions, I think, demonstrates that the tool is workable and provides the type of reliable data, fixed known and measurable data, that is needed for these rate proceedings before state utility commissions. So that, that to me says that this, this tracking tool is a very good tool and one that more utilities should be using. Well, you can check the show notes out for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 32. And please don't be bashful in letting me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on the show notes or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993 and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. Look for me if you're at the National Association of Water Companies Summit or if you're at the Global Water Intelligence American Water Summit on October 23rd and 24th. We'd love to meet up with you at those conferences. In closing, Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.